Well done, ladies. Thank you for that. If you have your Bible, would you go to the book of Job? The book of Job. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles available in the pew in front of you. Uh, We place a priority on the Word of God. We believe that it is authoritative and that it is our guide for faith and for life. And everything we do, we want it to be centered in the Word of God. As you find your place, Job chapter 14, we're going to read the entire chapter. Let me just kind of set the context for you. Uh, Each year I pray about what theme God would have us to focus on. And sometimes that theme comes out of one book. And so a couple years ago, I think five years ago, our theme was recommissioned. And that theme came out of the book of Acts. And I thought it would be good for us just to go back and look at the original blueprint for the church and uh, recommission ourselves uh, to do that task. And then uh, we went to uh, a theme after that, uh, draw near. And we started in the book of James and did a 10-week study through that and then branched out from there because there's other passages of Scripture in the Bible talk about that. Last year, uh, the theme was In Christ. And again, that was uh, just one book through the book of Ephesians. We spent the entire year in Ephesians last year, 40 sermons from that book. And as I was praying about this year, uh, I just was uh, thinking about all the things that have hit us in the last couple of years. The, the housing market, the economy, the stock market, the, uh, all of the different things that, that seem to erode hope in, in the institutions and, and pillars that people usually place their hope in, right? If your currency is being devalued, uh, that, 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 that takes away some hope, right? If, you're, if your investments are decreasing, then that kind of takes away some hope for retirement. If you're hoping to get into a house and the interest rates are going up, that takes away hope. And so uh, as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, God has said a lot about hope in Scripture, and he hasn't placed it all in just one book of the Bible and so this year we're not just going to plant ourselves in one book and go expositionally through that book but we're going to go through different passages of scripture and uh, different places in the Bible and talk about where God gives us hope and so just to give you an overview we'll be doing several mini series and uh, we'll start with hope in Christ and how Christ gives us hope and Hope in creation, the very fact that God created the heavens and the earth, uh, it it gives us hope in the way that there's a divine order and a divine design. Uh, Hope in Bible characters. The the Bible is full of, uh, uh, of narratives that document the lives of people that God worked in and through, and that testimony gives you and I hope because none of them were perfect. They were all flawed, and they all had idiosyncrasies, and yet God was able to use them to accomplish his task and so there's hope in those bible characters there's hope in the church this institution that jesus christ created he didn't come to this earth and start a school he didn't start an orphanage he didn't start a hospital he didn't start a bank he didn't start a government he started something called a church and uh, there is hope in that church and so we're going to be doing things like that so to begin with I I want us to start in the book of Job Job chapter 14 and it may not be clear to you at this point but I I think as we walk through this you'll understand why I'm starting here because this really kind of gives us the outline of what we're looking at what we're talking about when we're talking about hope why do we need hope why do we need to focus on hope doesn't hope just come naturally doesn't hope just pop up everywhere it doesn't spring out every season of life and you and I know the answer to that the answer is no it does not 
And there's a lot of hopeless people in this world. And the fact is, it's very hard to live life without hope. And so we're going to find the source of hope today. Job 14, verse 1, Job, in response uh, to uh, some of his friends after the tragic events that has happened, he says, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. And dost thou open thine eyes upon such a one and bringest me into judgment with thee? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Turn from him that he may rest till he shall accomplish as in hireling his day. For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease, though the root thereof wax old in the earth, the stock thereof die in the ground, yet... Through the scent of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. But man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? As the waters fail from the sea, and the flood decayeth and dryeth up, so man lieth down and riseth not. Till the heavens be no more, they shall not awake, nor be raised out of their sleep. Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave, that thou wouldest keep me secret until thy wrath be past, that thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Thou shalt call and I will answer thee. Thou wilt have a desire to the work of thine hands. For now thou numberest my steps. Dost thou not watch over my sin? My transgression is sealed up in a bag, and thou sowest up mine iniquity. And surely the mountain falling cometh to naught, and the rock is removed out of his place. The waters wear the stones. Thou washest away the things which grow out of the dust of the earth, and thou destroyest the hope of man. Thou prevailest forever against him, and he passeth. Thou changest his countenance and sendest him away. His sons come to water and he knows it not. And they are brought low, but he perceives it not of them. But his flesh upon him shall have pain, and his soul within him shall mourn. Needless to say, it is not the feel-good chapter of the year. But let's go to God in prayer and ask him to open our eyes to discern the message that he has for us today. Dear Heavenly Father, we believe that this book is inspired by you. That though it was penned by men of old, they wrote as the Holy Spirit guided them. And so, Lord, it is with that belief that we come to this text of Scripture, knowing that these are not just the commiserations of a heartbroken father, but that these, Lord, are the ruminations of the Holy Spirit that he is speaking through Job and through Job's situation into our brokenness, and that he is fully aware of the hopelessness that sets in with the years of life and the contemplation of death. And yet, 
There is a seed of hope in this text that will be fully developed later in your revelation. God, help us to realize and come to terms with the, the, the struggle for hope. And may we, Lord, come to the conclusion that hope is found only in Christ. And I pray that in his name. Amen. Job is considered to be the first written book of the Bible. It's considered to be the first written book of the Bible. Uh, while Genesis records creation and the history of the antediluvian world or the pre-flood world, it was not written until the time of Moses, around 1400 B.C., so while we're not given the details, either there was a, a, a oral tradition that was passed down from the beginning uh, that Adam passed it to his sons and they passed it to his sons and perhaps it was even in a written document but it was not gathered together and, and presented as scripture until Moses comes along. And God raises up Moses to deliver a nation. And once God has this nation, now he deposits in the nation the word of God. And it's going to be in their trust until Jesus comes. Romans 3 talks about the greatest gift of being a Jew was that God had given them the oracles of God, the revelation of God. And so Moses not only documents his present time with the Exodus and then delivers the Levitical law and records the book of Numbers and then his last dissertation in Deuteronomy, but God also used Moses to compile the previous records and inspired him to fill in the gaps that may have been missing so that there was a record from Genesis 1 until Genesis 50. But know this... It wasn't written down until around 1400 B.C. The book of Job is an epic poem. It's like the Iliad or the Odyssey, but it is written about an actual historical person named Job. So it's written in that epic, poetic form, but it is not fantasy. It is not allegory. It is, it is actually literal, and it is written about Job just simply in a poetic form. And that's why you find the wording that you find here. We know that Job was a real person, right? Sometimes people question that, and sometimes people assume that parts of the Bible were just allegorical. Uh, some people uh, will say that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are allegory, that that's not real history. That's just simply uh, stories that help us to live a good life. Sometimes people say that uh, Jonah was not a real character in the Bible, that it was impossible for a man to be swallowed by a whale and then regurgitated and still live. And so some parts of the Bible there are people who say well maybe this isn't real and so sometimes people will say that about Job but the Bible actually gives testimony to the fact that Job was a real person later he is identified with other real people like Noah and uh, and Daniel by the prophet Ezekiel Ezekiel is writing in a time when God's going to send judgment, Ezekiel 14, and he says, though Job or Noah or Daniel uh, were here, their righteousness would not save us. And so there's a strong testimony. I know that Job's a real person because he's identified with two other real 
people. In addition to that, Job was referenced by the New Testament writer James. In James 5.11, he says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. You say, well, how do you know that James isn't writing about the legend of Job? Because James is writing about God, and he says, here's the testimony that you know God has pity and mercy on you because he had pity and mercy on Job. If Job is imaginary, then it's only up to my imagination that God has pity and mercy on me. So you understand, the very first thing we need to establish is that Job is an actual, real person. And that this is the first recorded book in the Bible. Job lived during what is called the time of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And is believed to be mentioned in the genealogy record in Genesis 36 as a descendant of Esau. Now, I tell you all this history... Not just simply to take up time and, and to use up the, uh, the slot that I have in the service. I tell you all of this history about Job because it actually helps us to understand a foundational truth about the concept of hope in the Bible. You say, well, how does it help me knowing that Job is a real person and that it's the first book that was written in the Bible? What does that have to do with helping me understand hope? Well, you see, if you were to look for the word hope in the Bible... If you were to pull out your Bible app, I've got the Blue Letter Bible app, and I can go to the search feature, and I can type in the word hope, and it'll search it out for me. And you know the first place that you find the word hope in the Bible is actually, you don't find it until the eighth book of the Bible, the book of Ruth. And it's only mentioned one time. And so if you and I are reading through the New Testament, or through the entire Bible like we are this year, taking it three chapters at a time. Do you understand? It's going to be June before we get to hope. (laughs) And if you're just a simple person like me making observations, you might begin to think, well, hope's not that important because God didn't put it earlier in the story. You read on, and you don't find the word hope again until the 15th book, the book of Ezra. And again, it's only mentioned one time. So if I'm reading through the Bible and I'm just reading through, I'm finding that there's no mention about hope. This word hope doesn't show up until Ruth. And then it doesn't show up again until Ezra. But then I get to the book of Job. And the word hope is found 16 times in the book of Job. Job's the 18th book in its position in the Old Testament. And if I'm just reading through the Bible and I don't understand the structure of the Old Testament, I'm thinking hope is not that big of a deal. It doesn't arise until like the third act of the Bible. And so this is not a main character in the narrative until I realize that Job's actually the first written book and that the first installment of Scripture that God gave to his people to be read, to be canonized, to be spread around, had as one of its main themes hope. Why? Because hope is essential to human life. You and I cannot live without hope. In fact, the Bible identifies hope as one of the big three in 1 Corinthians 13. 
Remember 1 Corinthians 13? It's all about love, you know. Love doesn't puff itself up. It's not envious, all that stuff. And then it says this in the concluding verse. It says, and now abides faith, hope, love. These three. And the greatest of these is love. In that chapter, it's talked about certain things that are going to pass away. Tongues will fail. Prophecies will cease. Uh, revelations will come to an end. But faith, hope, and love, they are immovable. They are not obsolete. They cannot be done away with. They are essential. These three. Oh, that begins to raise my awareness of hope, and I begin to realize I've got to have hope in this life. There are some things that I can't live without. Have you ever heard of the survival rule, the rule of threes in survival? Uh, it, it, it's, the, it's the idea that there's, there's three things that you can't live without. And those three things are food, water, and air or oxygen. And the rule of threes is you can make it if you're in a survival situation. You're flying, you know, over some uh, region that's unpopulated and your plane goes down and, and you survive, but you don't have anything. You can make it three weeks approximately without, uh, without water or without food. You can make it three days approximately without water and you can only make it about three minutes without air. And I would say to you that the big three that God lists in 1 Corinthians 13 are like that. You cannot survive without those three things in your life. You might be able to make it for a while, but you're not going to be able to thrive and make it forever. You see, people throughout history have struggled to find adequate supplies of food and water. If you just look at a map or you drive through towns, you know what you almost always find? A river. Why? Because there's a source of water. If there's a source of water, then there's a source of food. And that's how population has survived through all these centuries. And those places where they didn't have a source of water, you don't find cities thriving and existing and staying because they couldn't make it there. And in the same sense, people have always struggled to find hope. They've always struggled to find love. They've always struggled to find faith. And so every person who has ever lived has struggled to find an adequate supply of hope. Now, uh, we don't have time for everybody to share their testimony today, but I imagine... If we were just to have a conversation and we said, have you ever had a tough time finding an adequate supply of hope? Not that you've never had hope in your life before, or that you uh, never find hope in anything, but have there been times in your life when you just didn't feel like you had enough hope? And I would say to a person, every one of us would say, yes, I've been there. There have been times when the circumstances, the situation, the news, whatever it was that came into my life, it, it, it robbed me of my hope. Well, Job is a prime example of the struggle for hope. And Job describes this plight that is common to all in this 14th chapter. In Ray Stedman's book entitled Let God Be God, he writes in uh, this, in Job 14, Job addresses the helplessness and hopelessness of man before God. And that's exactly what you see. 
Job is, Job is moaning the fact that hope is destroyed, that hope is washed away. There's hope for trees that they'll, they'll recover, but there's no hope for mankind. Uh, we are not told exactly how old Job is, but he has to be over 50. He has to be over 50. Uh, why would I assume that? Well, because he has 10 children who are all living independently. And so just for the math to work out, if all 10 of them have reached that age where they can go out and live on their own, he has to be at least 50. And so it is from this perspective that Job looks back over his life and he summarizes the long haul of hope. Listen, this ain't a teenage boy whose girlfriend broke up with him. Do y'all remember the hopelessness of that? It was real. It was real. But you and I, as we go down through the years, we realize with the decades, we begin to learn what hopelessness really is. And we begin to realize that there's a pattern that our hope is threatened every single day. And everywhere we seem to place our hope, whether it's in a person, whether it's in a career, whether it's in a town, in a home, in a church... It always gets compromised to some degree. Notice Job's opening statement in chapter 14. Can I, can I rephrase it for you? Life is hard and then you die. <laughs> he says it more poetically. It's an epic poem. He says this, speaking generally of all mankind, men and women, men, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Okay, Job, you've set the tone for us, buddy. We know exactly what you're going to get at from here. I mean, if that's your introductory line, you are, you are setting us up to tell us life is hard and then you die. Life is short and it is full of trouble. Throughout this entire chapter, Job is talking about time do you notice that his his days are few he makes reference to days and he makes reference to months and he makes reference to time everything in chapter 14 is is talking about time and Job is talking about how time robs us of our hope it's inevitable if you live any amount of time, your hope is going to suffer attack. It is going to become a casualty at some point. Your hope is going to be wounded. Your hope is going to be depleted. You're going to struggle to maintain an adequate supply of hope. And time seems to be the one consistent thing that keeps eroding it away. It does this in three ways. Number one, time reveals our sinfulness. In verses 1 through 6, Job describes how that we don't measure up. Sure, life begins with bright hope. He says in verse 2, it's like a flower. He comes forth like a flower. Oh, aren't flowers beautiful when they bloom? I mean, it's a spark of life and the petals begin to unfold and they are so bright and they are so vibrant and there is hope that that thing is going to spring and blossom and bloom and then it begins to wilt 
and to wither and to fade and to dry away. The beauty of the flower is temporal. It does not last. And what Job is saying here is that life does begin with bright hope, man. The most hopeful time of my life was my adolescence. And for me, that ended about seven when dad left. But as a kid, it was full of hope. I mean, the world was a magical place. I could be anything that I wanted to be. I had an imagination. I didn't know all the threats that were out there. I didn't know what the bank account situation was. I didn't know the troubles that mom and dad were having. I didn't know all the threats to our national security. I was full of hope, and so were you. But what happens? Time. You and I begin to grow and we get older. And pretty soon that bright hope that we had in our youth quickly fades away. Job makes a reference to God's judgment in verse 3 indicating that, that none of us will pass inspection and that if we are judged for our sins, there's no hope for any of us. He, he, he talks about how that the idea of our innocence is lost and as we begin to grow and time passes, we realize that we are sinners. And that not only are we sinners by nature, we become sinners by choice and we choose to sin. And the fact is, if God brought us into judgment, if God is bringing Job into judgment in this moment in his life, he has no hope because he is not perfect. None of us are. In verse 3, Job uses the contrast between clean and unclean. Did you notice that? In the order that we read our Bible, that's not unfamiliar language because Leviticus is full of this contrast between the clean and the unclean. But remember, in the dispensation of God's word, this is the first time that it is put in written form. Job is saying something that then is developed later in the book of Leviticus. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. And that just juxtaposition of clean and unclean is a reference to the sinfulness and the holiness. It is a contrast meant to show that there are some things that are sinful and that God is holy and that they cannot be combined. And Job says, what I know about myself is that I'm an unclean thing and that it's impossible for me to bring something clean out of an unclean thing. The way that Job uses it is to say that we're all unclean in the sight of God and it's impossible to make ourselves clean. Quite actually, it's hopeless, I would say. If your only hope is to reform yourself, to make yourself right, to get yourself to a place where you can be approved in the sight of God, you are without hope. I am without hope because you and I know that we cannot live a perfect life that no matter how hard we try we miss the mark that's what the greek word for sin means it means to miss the mark it's not that you're not aiming at the target it's that you can't hit it and that is the reality for all of us and then job concludes this section by saying that the best we can hope for is that god doesn't judge us during our life on earth for our sins 
That's the only hope that we have. Because if God is to judge you or I right now for our sins, we have no hope. Because our sin is repetitive, we are pathological in it. No matter how hard we try, we are so thoroughly sinful that we cannot refrain ourselves from it. And then, in verses 7 through 14, Job begins to talk about death. Number two, time reminds us of our mortality. You see, with time in life, we begin to realize that we're not perfect. Oh, when I was a kid, I used to imagine I could do all kinds of things. Maybe I'll be a musician. And then I tried to play a musical instrument. And I realized that's not happening. And then, as a kid, I was told you could be whatever you want to be. And I thought, well, maybe I'll be a basketball player. And then I grew about this tall with red hair and freckles. And not any of them made it to the NBA yet. Thought maybe, maybe, maybe I'll be a millionaire. And then I looked around at the county I was born in and the economic situation of all the people that I knew. And I realized the odds are not very good that I'm the one that makes it to be a millionaire. And so time has this way of reminding us that, that, that we are not perfect and that we're not going to excel at everything. But as time goes on, it also reminds us that time runs out and that we are mortal. We're not eternal. And that there's a limited supply of this. And Job begins by saying that if a tree dies, that there's hope that it will grow again out of its stump. He says, you know, there's hope for a tree that, that even if a tree grows tall and it's cut down, that even as that stump begins to rot, there's some germination process that takes place. And if water comes through, it can actually sprout again. And, and a tree can grow out of the stump that was there. But then he says that's not how it works for human beings. He contrasts that with humans in verse 9, stating that when a man or a woman dies, that's, that's the end of them. They, they have no hope of coming back. Sorry, Buddha, there is no such thing as reincarnation. You, you don't get to come back, not as a flea, not as a cat, not as a human being. When you die, you die. That's what history has taught Job. That's what life has taught me. Job bemoans the fact that the time clock begins to count down from the very moment that you were born. And when our time runs out, it is over. That is it. It's the end. There's no more. There's no overtime. There's no extension. There's no going back. There's no time machine. There's no cryogenic technology that's going to freeze you for the future like Captain America. Job sees no hope to be found there. And so Job looks back over his life and he says, there's no hope in me. I'm a sinful man. I'm full of mistakes. He looks to the end of his life and he says, there's no hope there because once the time runs out, it's done. It's finished. There's no more. And then Job looks at what time does after our death. Third, time rubs out our mark. On this world, it, it, it erases any mark that we made on the world, and given enough time, there is left no trace of our existence. Oh, I'm telling you, it's not a feel good chapter. It, it is quite morbid, in fact. 
And there in those last verses, verses 15 through 22, he says things like this in verse 19, the, 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 the water where the stones, and thou washest away the things which grow out of the dust of the earth, and thou destroyest the hope of man. You see, just like water over time can rub away the stone. He says, time rubs away the mark that we make on this world. He says, the mountains fall. You don't know it. The stone falls out of its place and it's not remembered. And what Job is saying is saying, there's no hope in my life. There's no hope in my death. And there's no hope in my legacy that no matter what I do accomplish on this earth, given enough time after my death, it's not going to be remembered anymore by anybody. And we're under the delusion that we can leave a legacy on this world because we know a few names from the past. But would I remind you that we know only a few names from the past and those names are not that old. For example, let me ask you how many of you all know anything about your great-grandfather or your great-great-grandfather? Well, I know what his name is. That's great. Do you know much else? Hey, here's one better. How many of you all live in the house that your great-great-grandfather built? How many of you own anything that your great-great-grandfather or grandmother made with their own hands? You say, well, that's just stuff. I mean, fires happen and things get sold and rust and deteriorate. Exactly. That's what Job is saying. He is saying, if you're looking for hope in life, you're not going to find it because you are sinful. If you're looking for hope in death, you're not going to find it because that's the terminal point. If you're looking for hope in the legacy that you're going to leave behind, you might impact a generation or two, but you will soon be forgotten. Let me tell you, there's more people in history that we've never heard of than those that we have. Do you think that they did not live lives like you lived? Do you not think that they built businesses and built homes and built families and built communities all to be washed away with the passing of time? Job in his brokenness speaks truth and we know it. And we're faced with the same problem that he was faced with. Where can we find hope? Like, Pastor, I've, I was really excited when I walked in and I saw hope in big, bright letters. I mean, like, these are the biggest letters we've ever had in this area. Like, you were shouting at us, hope, there's hope in this place. Come on in. You're going to get some hope. And now you may feel less hopeless than you've ever felt before. That's the problem. But can I tell you, there is hope to be found in Job 14. Job framed a rhetorical question in verse 14 of this chapter to which his audience obvious answer would have been no look back at verse 14 pretend you don't have a new testament pretend that you're living in the day of job there's no other scripture that's been written down and you come across this epic poem and you read you get to chapter 14 and you find this question verse 14 if a man die shall he live again and your answer would be no 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 that's obvious nobody lives again they don't come back from the dead you don't recover from death however God in his sovereignty 
inspired this question. He inspired this question to which Job didn't have the answer, to which Job had the wrong answer. And God inspired this question in the first recorded book in Scripture so that he could answer that question in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you turn with me to 1 Peter this morning? 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to preach my second message on hope. No, I'm just kidding. I want you to see the answer to Job's question. 1 Peter, thousands of years have transpired. The Lord Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. He has lived a sinless life. He's died an excruciating death on the cross. He lay dead in the grave for three days. And then miraculously on the third day, the stone was rolled away. He walked out. The tomb is empty. And there is this new movement that keeps talking about a resurrection. And they keep pointing back to this one named Jesus. And they say, because he rose again, all that believe in him will rise again. And they go around the world preaching this message. First Peter Near the end of his life, Peter writes this, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively hope. Where is this living hope to be found? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time wherein you greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Oh, Peter answers the question that Job asked, and he says, yes, you're going to be in heaviness in this time. Yes, you're going to have some trials that are going to test you. Yes, you're going to experience some sorrow. Well, let me tell you something. You have a living hope. Better than that, you have a lively hope. Do you know why it's in, well, you know why the King James translators translate it lively? Because it's just not just living, right? There's some things that live but don't move. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's some things that live but don't move very fast, right? Turtle, sloth, some people that you know, your brother-in-law, I don't know. <laughs> this word, this word means not only are they alive, but they are energized and in action. And what he's saying is, hey, look, let me tell you something. Yes, you're going to experience what Job experienced. Yes, you're going to have some heaviness. Yes, there are going to be things that threaten your hope. But you have a living and active hope. You have a hope that cannot be killed. That hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it guarantees you an inheritance in heaven that fades not away. It cannot be washed away. And so I say to you, Jesus Christ is the answer to our sinfulness. That Job was bemoaning, oh, if I were to be brought into the judgment of God, woe is me, I'm without hope. But in Christ, 
there is hope. I can face the judgment of God, not because I've done it right, but because Christ did it right, and Christ stands in my place. Now there is hope in our mortality. Yes, my flesh is going to go to the grave and die, but my soul is alive in Christ, and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Jesus said, those that believe in him shall never die. So there is hope in death through Christ. And then there is hope in our future. I do have a legacy to look forward to. I have an eternity in heaven where I will meet my forebears and I will meet with my descendants who are in Christ. We have a living hope in Christ. Our only hope is in Christ. I hope your hope is in Christ. Would you bow with me? As we bow our heads, close our eyes for just a moment. Hope is a serious issue. There was a time in my life when I felt absolutely hopeless. The circumstances of my life made me feel hopeless. The decisions that I had made, the sinfulness of my decisions made me feel hopeless. The lack of prospects for my future made me feel hopeless. And I searched everywhere I could search in my power to find something that would give me hope. And nothing satisfied nothing supplied that hope until I met Christ and when I put my faith and trust in Christ all of a sudden this hope that had been so elusive was like a wellspring in my life that for inexplicable reasons though my circumstances had not changed in my soul I felt a hope that I had never felt before My friend, if you've never trusted Christ, you're going to really struggle to try to find hope. You can find things that give you hope for a little while, but pretty soon it'll fade away and your tank will be empty again. If you've never trusted Christ, I would urge you to put your faith and trust in him today because he is the only source of eternal hope. And when you trust him, He gives you a hope that cannot be shaken. Oh, Lord, I do pray. I want to first thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. So thankful, Lord, that you took me on the journey that you took me on, allowed me to feel um, the, the darkness of despair so that I could revel in the light of Christ. Lord, I thank you for each and every person who has come to faith in Christ and has discovered the living hope that he brings. But Lord, I pray for the people here today who may not know Christ, those who may be struggling to find hope. I pray that today they would just surrender, that they would surrender their all to you, that they would uh, put all, Lord, of their, their hope in you, that they might find that you are faithful, dependable, Lord, I just pray and ask that all would know the hope that comes in Christ. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me and let's sing number 544, Have Thine Own Way.